Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, and welcome to Everything is Fine, a podcast for women over 40. We're your hosts. I'm Kim France. And I'm Jen Romolini. What else do we say, Jen? Well, we usually say um, today on the show, we have a guest um, <laughs> named Kimberly Harrington. And she wrote this really excellent and interesting book about divorce called But You Seemed So Happy. A Marriage in Bits and Pieces. It's a series of essays. Some of them are humorous. Some of them made me cry. It's a really smart book about divorce, but also about the biography of a marriage and the choices we make when we're young and living with them. And I liked it a lot, and I think she's a great guest. So yep. hopefully people like this episode. I liked it too. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a funny book about divorce. I can't remember a book about divorce I liked as much since Nora Ephron wrote Heartburn. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's true. That's true. When and, you think about it, like yeah. who's written a funny book? It might probably maybe lots of people, but I... This probably is, lots of people, but yeah. This is the first one that I really liked, I have to say. And I really like the title because it always reminds me of the fact that when I left my husband, exactly 0% of the people I told were like, oh, but you guys seem so happy. Like nobody yeah. said that ever. No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, but that's fucking funny. <laughs> it's true, though. <laughs> oh, I mean, good. Your decision was validated. That's really good. Um, how are you doing this week? How's it going? Well, you know, I've been sick, as you know. Um, yeah. I went to, ended up in the emergency room on Saturday, and they determined that I have something that's not unserious, but highly treatable. And mostly has resulted in me spending an enormous amount of time on the sofa because I just don't have much energy. Um, yesterday, I watched just, I, I, I got into that mindset like this, I'm a kid, I'm 12 and I'm sick, you know, yeah. and I'm, what would I be doing? Like I, I kept sitting up and trying to work and it wouldn't, it, I, I would just get too tired. So I was like, I'm going to fucking watch Game of Thrones all day. Like there's something about watching TV during the day that really feels like you gave up, but then you kind of get permission when you're sick. Totally. I mean, do you remember? I just watched like, the thing is, it's so different is that you can make the choice to watch Game of Thrones. You think about when we were sick, when we were young, and it was like, the price is right. Yes. Like, yes. <laughs> it's just like anything that's on and it was always the price is right. And then some soap operas like that's it. Yes. <laughs> like, Did you ever get into soap operas? Did you ever have a show? Oh my God. I had so many shows. I, cause I was just like a, you know, it's so funny because my kid is also kind of a slug and <laughs> I was a total slug. And in the summers while like everybody was out, like, you know, like running around and playing, I was sitting inside and eating just whatever I could in a giant bowl. 
and <laughs> watching The Young and the Restless and As the World Turns. No All My and Children. No All My no Children. No All My Children. No, I think I was, I think those shows were CBS. I think you had like a network that you were in and I was in, I was the CBS person. I even watched The Bold and the Beautiful. And fuck, man, I loved soap operas. <laughs> I, like... I love soap operas and I guess they died because of reality television and very few of them exist anymore. But I remember like getting to college and finding out that they broadcast all the soap operas in the student union on one of those like ancient, like really big screen TVs like they had in the 80s. I mean, they weren't ancient now. They're currently right. ancient. Um, and that, that really helped compose my social circle my freshman year. <laughs> Wait, which were yours? Um, no, all my children and uh, all, all my children and, and, and like, you know, maybe general hospital a little, but I never was in, as invested in that. I mean, I think I watched the Luke and Laura wedding. Mm-hmm. I don't, I was not invested, but I do think I watched that. No, I was just trying to explain soap operas to my child, like what they were. Cause my child asked me, who was your first crush? And it was this it was Dusty from As the World Turns. <laughs> and I still remember the love triangle between Dusty, Holden, and Lily. And I forget the actor's name, but back then, in order to like like someone and follow them, you had to like write a letter into their fan club to join. Mm-hmm. And I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's funny. Um, no, but with the sickness thing, I've really been thinking about how long we've been in this like we're really not out of the pandemic yet and no. it's it's ramped up everything it's changed healthcare in significant ways going to the doctor is still weird everything is still weird and the psychic load of this and just being in something in an extended way it's draining. I mean, I I don't know about you, but like I I was up for the marathon in the beginning and I am now just totally depleted. Just No, I burnt. agree. I agree. I'm very tired of 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 dealing with all of it, you know. I you know, I I'm I it would be really bad if I got covid right now because I have something else, you know. And right. Then, so it so it scares me, you know, and and I'm so tired of that feeling of fear and that like you know the grind of it all and the you know like when when if all these people continue not to get vaccinated are we ever going to get to the end of this no the ambient fear and you know I I, the ambient fear is just and I don't know when we're going to get to the end of it and I don't know if we should get boosters or we shouldn't get boosters and you know all, all of that but the ambient fear and I think what it's doing to our bodies. I don't think we realize like how much things are not still back to normal. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe we do, but I don't think we realize like how that's affecting us. What, how we're internalizing that stress? Because you know, I've had, I've been having health problems like for the last six months. Yeah. Like, and you know, some of it's perimenopause. Who knows? Like, nobody really knows. I seem to be okay in all my tests, but I don't feel well. Yeah, and I know that it's because I'm. I'm super emotional. I'm really kind of, there's a little bit of wallowing, you know, like, oh, I can really just sob a lot. And then a thing I've been doing, a way I've been trying to sort of change my um, mindset, I've been meditating. I've been like taking baths with like this weird mustard. Do you ever take a mustard bath? I have. (laughs) Yes, I have. I like, I like a mustard bath. Yeah, no, they're good. It's sulfuric, sulfuric. Yes, it's good for you. So I've been taking mustard baths. I have been meditating. I'm on a 10-day streak, but I've been listening. I heard something like through Instagram of like changing your mindset at the beginning of the day. And it's instead of thinking I have to of whatever you have to do that day, you think I get to. Oh, that would never work with me. I get to go take the vision test today that the DMV is going to revoke my driver's <laughs> license if I don't take it. I get to do that. <laughs> no, That's bullshit. You no, because you are able-bodied enough that you get to walk there 
It's a gratitude process. I don't know. No, no, no. <laughs> it, it, I, I, I reacted too quickly. I can see the utility in that. Oh, my God. I love you so much. I love you so much. I love that you're, like, impermeable to, so like, self-help bullshit. I love it. Oh, my. I mean, it hasn't been helping me for shit, but I have been trying. So, anyway. I get to buy more toilet paper. You do. You have the money to buy more toilet paper. No, it, it, it is a gratitude exercise. And I actually believe big time in gratitude exercises. I think that, you know, they can absolutely change your state of mind. But that one just cracked me up at the beginning. Uh, well, of course it did. It was like some schmaltzy. It wasn't even It wasn't even like a thing I had sought out. It was like a reel that was like delivered to me the mm-hmm. way Instagram does. And I was like, I'll try anything at this point. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> Hilarious. Well, why don't we get into this episode? I think it's a really good one. Me too. Our guest today is Kimberly Harrington. Kimberly is a humor columnist, a regular contributor to McSweeney's, and the author of two books, Amateur Hour, a hilarious book about parenting, and her latest, which is out this month, But You Seemed So Happy, a book of essays about her recent and unusual or at least unconventional divorce. It's also a biography of her marriage and a meditation on living with the choices we make. Welcome, Kimberly. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. It's very nice to have you. And I want to say in advance um, that I'm sorry if uh, you feel like a mascot for divorce today, because I feel like that's what what we're going to turn you into. But I am very impressed with your divorce and... You know, in your book, you say we all hear the dramatic stories of divorce, but we don't hear much about boring divorces or perfectly okay divorces. But your divorce is and was pretty drama free, right? Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, I should start by saying that we're not even officially divorced. So that is, (laughs) you know, you sell a book about divorce and then slowly realize as you're writing it that you actually won't be divorced by the time the book comes out. Uh, Divorce takes forever. Divorce takes so much longer than getting married. It's like insane how long it takes. And do you know how much longer it takes when you haven't even started the process? (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) So, and the reason that's unfolded the way it did is we announced our divorce almost three years ago, or we announced our separation with the intention to divorce, but we also announced that we would stay living together with our kids who are teenagers. And... That's still what we're doing. <laughs> like, we still have not started the process because this has been working for us, but that is still very much the path we're on, and that is still very much the plan. How are your kids with that? Do they prefer it this way to having two, two residences and all of that? I think what's interesting is they don't have, like all of us growing up, they have nothing to compare it to. Really, you know, I mean, I feel like we all grow up, we kind of deal with our parents' relationships such as they are, and then it's only later that it's like, wait a minute, (laughs) what what was that about? And so for them, nothing has really changed, which is interesting. I think mostly Hmm. what's changed for them, I I, I think mostly because when we announced our divorce, you know, it's... It's surprising to other people, but it's not surprising to the people who actually announced it. And so I think it's more that for them, nothing really changed. We were still the same people. We still interacted initially the same way. We actually interact much, much better now. Um, So their lives haven't changed. They haven't been upended. You know, nothing dramatic has really happened. And, uh, you know, sometimes I do wonder, like, is this just the weirdest way to grow up? And uh, they'll be the judges of that, you know, when they're older and look back. And I I definitely sometimes feel like they're going to look back and, and, and do what we all do, which is, what was that about? <laughs> what, right. what exactly happened there? Right. You know, it's it's funny, though, because, um, you know, what you talk about is there there were no affairs, no nervous breakdowns, no like big wild fights. It was just 
the realization that you didn't want to be there anymore. You were not, you were not the same person you were when you were 27, when you got married. And it made me think that I wonder if blowing up our relationships with affairs or a lot of drama just makes everything so big that it gives us permission to break up or to separate, you know, it gives us oh, permission yeah. because divorce can feel like such a failure and just wanting to leave doesn't seem like a good enough answer. You know, it doesn't seem good enough, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think that uh, there were points where I wish something dramatic would happen so it could just be straightforward. You know, it, it, people blow up their lives for reasons because it, it forces a decision. And I think, too, that, you know, men can divorce any kind of woman they want for for any reason they want and they don't get a lot of blowback and I think as a as a girl and a woman you really get socialized to pursue a good man and stay with a good man forever because what honestly could be your reason for not doing that like uh what makes you think you're so special <laughs> and uh and that's tough. And I, and I still feel that way, especially now that I'm into talking about the book publicly. Like, it's one thing to, to write it and work through this stuff privately. It's another thing to now go out in public with a book that uh, people don't know how to... Uh, <laughs> they, I was going to say they don't know how to talk to me about it, but they don't talk to me about it. <laughs> because everyone is just like, yikes, when they hear it's a divorce book. I, I was curious about that because you write in the book's introduction about how our culture disapproves of divorce. And I was really wondering, why is this still the case in 2021? It is so shocking to me. I have to be honest with you, <laughs> you know, because I do feel like it's so common. Um, we all grew up with it. My parents are divorced. It's all around us. And I cannot get over the difference between writing a book about motherhood and writing this book, the the lack of curiosity about this book. I mean, it definitely, um, I started, I used to say this was a book about divorce. Would people be like, oh, what's your, what's your next book about? I'd say divorce. <laughs> the, the reaction was all but yikes, you know, as soon as I answered and I started just saying it was a book about marriage. I mean, it it affected my perception um, or my language around it to a surprising degree. And I, I wish I knew why that reaction is there. I think it's, um, people get very freaked out to a degree that I don't, I didn't even realize when we announced our divorce. I mean, I feel like it's, it's become more obvious with, um, with the book actually, which is, is bizarre and something that I definitely was not expecting because hello, we're in a pandemic, divorce is trending, like get on board. Mm. Right. I, I was, I was thinking about the fact that when I left my husband, one of the reasons I decided I would go ahead and do it was that I looked at three happily married couples I knew and thought if I stay with him, I'm telling myself I don't, deserve to be as happy as those couples. Now, as it turns out, two out of three of those couples are today divorced. Right. But um, did you have any similar realizations on your way to your decision? In terms of comparing my situation? No, not in, or? Not in terms of comparing, just moments when you were like, oh, yeah, yeah, this, this is something I need to get out of. I think think what happened, I mean, this was a very long process and uh, there were several moments like that just because I felt like, what are we doing? You know, I, I, again, they're just, mm -hmm. it wasn't volatile and um, John is an incredibly kind and supportive guy. He's an easygoing, great guy. And so it, it, it just felt like my problem. <laughs> Yeah. You know, it really mm -hmm. felt like, what is my fucking problem? This is ridiculous. And I'm sure that was the narrative around our announcement is what is her fucking problem? Hmm. Um, and at a certain point or several points, I kept going back to, but is this what we're doing forever? Because this isn't this isn't working. This doesn't feel like enough. We don't feel curious about each other. This 
isn't just going to come back. I think there was a point, and I think a lot of parents go through this when kids are really little and you're really just trying to keep your head above water. And that was pre-pandemic. So it's even a, a zillion times worse now where you just, there. I think there's sort of this innate trust that where you were in the beginning is just going to come back as if yes. by, as if by magic. And I've had people tell me that too. So it wasn't just in my own head. I definitely had uh, relatives and friends just say, you know, once we were on the other side, we, it was a different relationship, but it was so good. Once you're on the other side, once you're yeah. on the other side of parenthood. Yeah. Once, once your kids are older and they're out of the house. And I think the longer I held on to that and wasn't seeing that happen and wasn't, it just got to a point where it's it's like, what am I waiting for? And and why am I the only one bringing this up? And I can't be the only one trying to figure this out. And so that that was kind of, you know, I, I get into it in the book. There's so many, like any long-term relationship, there are so many factors involved. But I think that um, it, it really came down to that. And then as my kids got older, which was really more when the flip was uh, the switch was flipped rather was they're teenagers and they're learning about relationships. And is this how I want them to learn about marriage? Mm. You know, and that again, when there isn't like plate throwing and screaming and all this really obvious stuff, um, it still was, we can teach them to be, to have a partnership. You know, we think we can teach them to be good partners and good friends and be respectful in a way that maybe we weren't always uh, when we were trying to stay married, but we, we, they can't learn about romantic relationships from us where that relationship was at that time. And now let's take a quick break for some ads. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Support for Everything is Fine comes from Ritual. So I love Ritual. Everyone knows I love Ritual. I talk about Ritual all the time. I particularly love its daily, their daily multivitamin, and I also really have been enjoying their melatonin. But the thing I love most about Ritual is their Hyacera. It's a once daily skin supplement that's clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. In a clinical study, Hyacera led to 3.6 times reduction in crow's feet wrinkles within 90 days as compared to a placebo. Hyacera led to 2.9 times increase in skin smoothness within 90 days as compared to a placebo. You can enhance your skincare routine from the inside out with one daily capsule, essenced with soothing vanilla. I love Hyacera. It's been rigorously tested and validated. It's one of the industry-leading sustainability. It, it meets, sorry, all of the industry-leading sustainability standards. You know I'm a beauty editor now. I am all about keeping my face plump, and Hyacera absolutely has done that for me. I've been on it for months. I don't even know how long, and I can really see a difference in the texture of my skin. My skin looks 
more juicy, I guess is the best way to do it. Say it, do it. Uh, okay. So you can start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash fine. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription to get today. That's ritual.com slash fine for 25% off. And we're back. How did you deal with, because I imagine there's a lot of grief, um, grief, grieving for the marriage and, and maybe there wasn't, but I, I imagine there was grief when you have a, you know, 20, I don't know how long you were married, but 20 something year marriage, 20 something year relationship. Like most of us who have kids have at this point, how did you deal with grieving the marriage or even processing the marriage in the presence of all these fucking people in your house? <laughs> I, I think again, because this was such a long process. We've had the conversation for so long. Um, and I write in the book how it was almost like an every three year conversation. Um, and then an annual conversation for nine or 10 years. So that's a really big part of our marriage was actually, is this working? And um, I think the grief was actually in real time. Yeah. And hmm. the announcement was a relief. You know, I, I, when we, f and again, we had actually even agreed to the separation a year before we announced it. So when we announced it, I was like, um, a little too happy, <laughs> you know, like I was in mm -hmm. way too good of a mood and it's because it had been hanging over me for years. The decision had been hanging over us for years and the acknowledgement that we were on absolutely that path for a year had been hanging over my head. So to just finally have it out there was relief. And I just think the grief was actually a daily process. It was a, a process of being around other couples and feeling dishonest. Yeah. Um, because, and if, you know, it, we certainly aren't the only ones doing it, but I, I do think that we do assume everyone's happy. You go to a party and you hang out and you see all these other couples and you assume everyone there is happy unless someone's in a screaming match and even them, you give the benefit of the doubt, <laughs> and, you know? And so I, so I think in those moments, that's when the grief really happened. And because it became glaring that this wasn't working and maybe it was never going to work. I remember going through a phase with my ex-husband when I thought, I don't love him anymore. I don't think I like him anymore, but I may just still need him. Yeah. Was that a thing for you? Yeah, that, that was definitely a thing because of our, uh, our, the dynamics in our relationship, I've always been the lead breadwinner and my job and my work has always taken precedent in, in sort of how we arrange our schedules and, and uh, back when I would be traveling more. And it was hard to, you know, again, a conflict most men never have for even 30 seconds I had to really accept that, well, am I staying married because I, I need the flexibility and the support that this relationship has always given me. Yes. And that's, I mean, again, not a, not a conflict for most men whatsoever. And um, it made me feel shitty, <laughs> to be perfectly mm. honest, to feel like I'm, I'm staying for this support system that I can count on. You know, I think that the, the best thing about us evolving our marriage into a friendship is we can talk more straightforwardly about those things and we operate as friends, like with, with respect and, and good manners. <laughs> now, you know, a lot of appreciation and, and please and thank yous for, for things that we took for granted uh, before. 
Right, because the heat is taken off, right, of the, the this working as a romantic thing. So now you can truly be like logistical partners, right? Yeah, there. when the announcement was really fresh, I think we had gone on a family vacation for maybe a week um, right around then, or maybe it was even leading up to our announcement. And the, this is like a... a kind of a funny example of you know the before and after and um he's really he's a food guy he's the one who cooks and so I don't deal with any of that stuff um in terms of like packing up and and we were going to the lake for a little bit and we're making dinner that night or he was making dinner with a bunch of friends and he didn't bring veggie burgers he forgot veggie burgers for me (laughs) And I was like, man, if this was two years ago, I would be so rip shit about this because I would mm-hmm. be like, wow, real nice. Like, no one's thinking about me. Like, it would have just become, <laughs> right, right. you know, what is this marriage even about? Like, I would have yeah. just gone <laughs> gone down this, like, spiral of this yeah. veggie burgers being the <laughs> fucking end-all be-all of everything. And when it happened, I was just like, okay, well, you know if he forgot the veggie burgers, like, like if a friend had forgotten the veggie burgers, I wouldn't have burned down the whole universe because of it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that there was a lot of recalibrating where our boundaries were and what was okay to expect from each other and to get out of the business of certain jobs, you know, in terms of like in-law birthday presents and, you know, all that sort of stuff. It's like, okay, let's, we don't need to have those responsibilities anymore. Well, I have a question. Speaking of logistics and also boundaries, how does dating look for you? Well, that's an easy question to answer because neither of us have dated anyone. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there, I mean, obviously the pandemic had a huge effect on that. Uh, because we announced our separation um, again, like it was about three years ago. I initially thought I was going to come hot out of the gate with dating and then had to remember where I lived. And it is just Which not. is Vermont, right? Yeah, it's, it's Vermont. I don't, I do not fit here from a, from a dating standpoint. And, um, and he hasn't really pursued dating either and I we've always talked about that will be probably the bright line where we start to think about you know maybe this is where this wraps up because I don't think either one of us feels like that's that's gonna that will likely be a bridge too far um so for now it's worked because it just hasn't been an issue Hmm. I'm thinking about something kind of unrelated but also kind of related, which is that I know couples who decided to be, but as they were going through the, should we get divorced or not? Should we separate? Landed on, let's be open. Is that something that you're seeing? Um, I realize you're not like a paid divorce expert, but I wonder if this is just the circle of people I know, or if this is a broader thing. I think that, uh, Uh, My answer to that is I live in New England where people don't talk about things that don't follow a very specific prescribed path. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, the the experience of moving back to New England after being on the West Coast for 14 years, I have to constantly remind myself of where I live and um, how how traditional it is, even even when you think you're in a non-traditional bubble so even if that was happening no one would talk about it Mm -hmm. was it something you considered I mean not that you would talk about it but was it a thing that you perhaps considered not really I mean again I think if we lived somewhere else like if we were still living in Portland Oregon maybe that would have been more of a conversation I I do feel like we're probably a little bit cut from the same cloth where it's like, well, if we're going to be done, be done. If that's what we're going to be doing, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm, I don't, I just, I just don't think either one of us would have been able to be cool with that. And, and again, I mean, every relationship is different. Like plenty of people can't do what we're doing now and plenty of people can be open and that works. I just think that's something that for us, I don't think would have worked well 
it seems really complicated. Yeah. It's, like, yeah. It just seems really complicated. And, um, you know, you really would have to just let go of a, a lot. And also, you know, the, the, all the rules you'd have to set up around it. And then, and you know, whatever. All the rules seem really complicated to me. Although, you know, people do it and it seems to keep their relationships going longer but in a, in a similarly I wonder if we're thinking about marriage as just like a a financial and logistical partnership and because the whole concept of marriage is fucked up right like the yeah. idea that you're going to meet somebody and like you know whenever you meet them and then that's it for the rest of your life and you're going to change and grow together and continue to meet people each other's needs and go through if you're going to have kids together have all these parenting experiences so you know it's the whole thing is fucked up but it feels like the open marriage is kind of a band-aid on how fucked up the whole thing is well i also kind of wonder if the open marriage thing wouldn't have worked for us because we would have been just too exhausted to deal with the logistics of it <laughs> right. it just seems like a lot of work honestly no i had a, i had a friend say about her marriage one time i was asking her how it was going and she said uh too tired to cheat too broke to leave <laughs> <laughs> That is definitely not the first time I've heard something along those lines. It's like, who, who's got the time? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> who's the time to shave my legs? You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but that does bring me to a thing. I, I wonder how, how do you think economics can play into the decision to get divorced or not? Because, you know, celebrities and, and rich people are just like, yeah, let's drop it like it's hot here, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, the rest of us are like, Oh, well, it would be very complicated. <laughs> like, yeah, I think it is a huge piece of the puzzle. Um, you know, there some of the stories that I've heard where, uh, you know, people have gotten divorced and they have two separate houses or they live in two separate houses and, and you know, share a common space or, you know, whatever. It's like, yeah, that sounds amazing. And it costs a zillion dollars. Mm -hmm. um, it it's a lot easier. Like everything else is easier when you're rich. I mean, surprise, like it, it's easier to get divorced. It's easier to define the sort of space that you would like to have. I mean, you know, what we're dealing with here, like a lot of uh, rural places is that everyone has bought up every um, crappy house around here. And um, there weren't a whole lot of houses or decent rentals here. So even if we wanted to say, you know what, we're finally going to have some sort of separate living arrangement, there's nothing here and everything is wildly overpriced. And so um, I've certainly seen that impact a lot of people who want to come up with a different arrangement. And it's just, um, it's too expensive. It's just way too expensive to get something like that to work. How can you support a friend who's getting divorced without taking sides? I find that to be sometimes impossibly frustrating. I think it really, I think it's tough because it, it always, it's not one situation, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it, I know of divorces that are uh, the kind of classic hot mess where someone is, you know, one partner has done something really, pretty shitty um and disregarding that partner and their children and it's really hard not to take sides in that situation because mm -hmm. we're human and we're like good guy bad guy okay like i know this template and i think that uh with most divorces or at least divorces that aren't crazy acrimonious and and tons of fighting and certainly like getting into courts and stuff it's just trying to recognize that nobody knows what's going on inside any relationship ever. It's the truth. And we really, I mean, I remember feeling like in my 20s that I absolutely knew what was going on with all my friends' relationships. <laughs> it was yes. like such a little know-it-all based on nothing, including dating experience. But I was like, well, clearly that guy isn't right for you. And um, I didn't know what I was talking about. And that really holds true with marriages. We all think we know what's really going on. And, um, 
and people inside marriages don't know what's going on with their own marriage. So like, why would anyone else know? And so I think a big part of it is just, just listening to whoever wants to talk and, um, and not jumping in with advice because, um, you know, reactions and advice are coming from our own experience. I mean, I feel like I've just seen this over and over again and have to remind myself of it all the time because no matter whether it's good news or quote unquote bad news, you know, whether it's a divorce or a pregnancy announcement or an engagement or a book deal, the way people react is so about them. Mm-hmm. You know, 95% of the time, like maybe 5% is, is you know, pure unadulterated joy or real concern or whatever, but like 95% of it is completely about that person and their experiences. And so I think it's, it's important for us to realize when we're doing it too, we all do it. I certainly do it. I have said, I'm so sorry to divorce announcements so often before this happened, uh, before Mm -hmm. I had to make my own announcement. Yeah. I mean, that's our knee jerk reaction because, you know, divorce is so sad is the way we think of it. Yeah. And I love that you're kind of flipping that. It's not that sad. It's a liberation sometimes. Yeah. Often. I f- There's one phrase I'm trying to remember now that someone uh, told me recently, which is, um, of course, now I can't remember. It's something along the lines of, I hope this is, you know, what you want or this is working out in a way that that you want, you know, versus just assuming, you know, I'm so sorry or asking, how do you feel about that? Because then it's not jumping in with this assumption of this is this is so sad and horrible and how terrible for you and you know like making I mean, sad you, weird faces at people who are like I'm okay you know? yeah or yeah or you can send them the Nicole Kidman divorce picture yes. Yes. <laughs> like that, the happiest picture online that was amazing that woman who who did the same thing for her divorce. Did you see did you see that? Yeah, this was this was maybe a week or two weeks ago. She dressed in the same outfit. Oh, that's hilarious. And had a photo taken of her on the day of her divorce and had a party. It was amazing. You know, I was in Milan once for work and I was sitting at dinner next to this very stylish um and successful Italian man and we're talking and he asked about my husband and I said, Oh, I'm getting divorced and he looked at me and said, Congratulations. And I was so happy. I was like, finally, somebody understands how I feel about this enterprise. Do you have, um, do you have advice for women who are maybe, I mean, you know, marriage is always a precarious thing. So I'm not suggesting that everybody wants, I mean, everybody kind of does think about divorce. I think, I think it crosses everybody's mind and then something shifts or changes and you kind of flip back into it. But my question is, do you have advice for people who are pretty sure they want to get out? Like how to do it in a in a peaceful, kind, you know, intentional way. My first piece of advice is never to trust advice from one person who's gone through one relationship. <laughs> right. right. But I would say that think about what you're doing and how much you're factoring other people's reactions into your decision. Because that is a big piece of the puzzle for women, like it or not. I mean, it is for for a lot of people. But I think what comes into play is, well, what will people think of me? Um, who am I letting down? Uh, will I be alone? And is, you know, to me, the whole narrative around being alone is crazy making to me because um, our culture just does not feel comfy with letting women be alone. (laughs) Mm. We just cannot fathom it. We wonder what's wrong. We wonder when the next person's going to come along. So I think that there's a lot of reflecting on how much it's internal versus how much we're afraid of what other people will think of us. And then going from there, because if you're going to try anything that isn't the straight up, like, let's go get divorced and and split everything up, 
you're going to be dealing with it all the time. You know, people don't really say anything to us, but we certainly get those, you know, the looks when we show up places together still like what is this like what, mm-hmm. why are they still hanging out together all the time like did we imagine this announcement like it's been so long that people have actually forgotten we announced our divorce i'm starting <laughs> to get you know we've gotten dms from people who are like wait a minute are you guys getting divorced it's like okay <laughs> this has clearly been going on for a little while now that's funny There's a line I loved in the book. Um, There were several, but this one I really liked. Um, Red flags are like passages from the Bible. You can pluck them out of context and bend them to suit the story you wish to tell. Um, Did you do things or observe dynamics in your marriage that you would absolutely avoid if you married again? Oh, boy, do I never want to marry again. Um, (laughs) And that's... I just never, I cannot imagine the case for it. Um, And that's, and, you know, when I say that, I I think this is another sort of assumption is that that's coming from a place of bitterness. And it's Mm -hmm. not. I've had a really long marriage to a really great guy. I've done that. You know, I don't know why I would do that again. (laughs) I want to live on an island with dogs is what I'm saying. Like I cannot (laughs) emphasize that enough. Um, But with the, you know, with the red flags, in some ways, I think the part of the book that that's in is maybe about early signs or sort of early interactions with John. But honestly, the red flags I would be looking for in my own behavior. I definitely look back and see how much control uh, this, I mean, I'm still a person who, who loves control, but really how much control I exerted in situations, how much loyalty I wanted. I, you know, I wanted someone's attention. I wanted someone to love me enough to marry me. And I wanted, I thought marriage was all the attention all the time. And, you know, there's so many red flags from my 20s that I look back on and it's like, oh, man, don't let those get away from you again. You know, if, if you're if I ever get into a relationship again, for sure. I mean, do you ever know yourself well enough? Like I, I absolutely would have been miserable if I married the person I was in love with when I was 29. And it didn't turn out so well with the person I fell in love with when I was 37. Like, are you ever wise enough or is marriage just fucked? Sorry, to <laughs> <answer Kim's. laughs> I, I mean, I think w- one of the best things about working on this book was actually having that benefit of um, that 2020 vision in hindsight, because when I started writing it, it was an angrier book and it was more defensive because I was focusing on the end and I was focusing on all the stuff I was mad about. And I think what was interesting as I looked back and read all my old journals and all this stuff from, from, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it's like, oh, I'm, I am actually still that person. There's this core of me that has always been there and I've been bending myself since probably puberty to fit into all of these other templates that were placed in front of me. But at my heart, I'm still this person, um, And so I think we forget who we are. I think we know who Mm -hmm. we are, but we forget who we are because we're always jamming ourselves into different templates, whether that's work or marriage or culture or, you know, whatever. And a lot of it is is getting back to who we were when we were when we were girls, like we knew who we were when we were girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And I, I wonder how much midlife played into this too in that sort of return to yourself yeah i i think that's a big part of it i mean i think you know of course it's cliche in some ways where it's like wait a minute (laughs) what how much time do i think i've got like do i think i just have this endless runway to uh you know see how this plays out and so i do think that there to a lot of divorces there is that midlife timing of really stepping back and 
really examining choices instead of just kind of going with the flow, which is easy to do for a lot of your life. Um, and yeah, it makes you reflect on, on what you're doing and is this what you want forever? What are your th- go ahead. Go, go ahead, Jen. No, I was, no, you go, Ken. I was just wondering what you think. I mean, this is a very broad question, but, but what you, what your thoughts are on couples therapy? Oh boy. <laughs> uh, well, I would characterize myself as a therapy denier for most of my life. <laughs> I was like, why would I want to talk about that shit and pay someone for the pleasure? Absolutely. No, thank you. Um, so I would say I've had a little bit of a mixed bag with that. Probably it, it, it didn't help that my first run in with therapy was marriage therapy. Um, and we just, both of us were like, yeah, I don't, this just seems like torture <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and just weird and kind of like, you know, was it marriage story? Was, was that the Adam Driver movie mm-hmm. yeah. where, you're, where yeah. I'm like, oh mm-hmm. my God, this is triggering my PTSD. Um, <laughs> so I kind of feel like everyone I know, almost everyone I know who went to couples therapy is divorced. So (laughs) maybe maybe it's the gateway drug and actually the problem and not the solution. I'm (laughs) I'm kidding. Um, I know. You know, I, it just didn't work for us, but I also think we were far down a path, which I think is actually more the case by the time you're in couples therapy. I think for a lot of people, at least one person is done. And so that's kind of more the issue. They're looking for permission. Yeah. They're looking yeah. for permission and, you know, they're looking for their choice to be validated. And sometimes it's an expert saying, yeah, this is as fucked as you thought it was. Like, yeah. Well, I've, I mean, I've had couples say that to me, that they went to couples therapy for the re- for like the big red stamp that said, yeah. you, you are okayed for divorce. It's basically like the note from the doctor to, <laughs> to get out. I mean, I do, I can see that if... You started a marriage with couples therapy. That is really interesting to me. Of course, I can't go back in time and, and do that. But I I do think that there is something really, of course, powerful to having a third party navigating because otherwise, I mean, you're just two people with, you know, with points of view that you cannot get out of most of the time. And starting that from the beginning when you're really starting to wear those patterns in, (laughs) really, you know, starting to build those grooves of patterns you're absolutely going to follow for the rest of your lives together, Mm -hmm. that would be the time for it. Yeah, and you know, I think that the license, I think the license goes for too long quite frankly, I think that it should be a re-up, like a driver's license, you know, like, okay, are we still, it's like every five years, are we still in this? Is this working for both of us? You know, and you both make the decision. The fact that it's like, yeah, let's just sign on forever, especially (laughs) if you're young, you know, it's like, who the fuck knows what you're going to want in 20, 30 years, 40 years. I mean, we can't even stand by the decision of some of the pants we wore when we were 20. So like, you know, exactly. I mean, it's, it's just crazy. There's so little reflection because it's, you know, certainly speak for myself there, there was the, the desire of course, and the love and, and wanting that relationship. But I do feel like a lot of it comes down to timing. It's what you're seeing everyone else around you doing around the same age. You want that too. And you want the big party. And, yeah. you know, you no one thinks beyond that because it's also like having a baby. You, you can't think beyond it. Like you can understand a party, but you don't understand marriage. Right. And um, it, it's crazy. It's just crazy to be making decisions at that age that you will then feel conflicted about at some point. I mean, everyone does at some point. And the only narrative around it is like, nope, sorry, it's forever. (laughs) not Mm -hmm. Not a lot of leeway there. Right. Nope, sorry, forever. And if you get out of it, especially if the per- if there's not what we were talking about before, all of the you know the the bigness, the the big damage, then you're you're a bad person. You failed yes. in some way, which is just fundamentally not true. You're not failing yourself. It's a success 
It's a success that you had a relationship for that long. Like we should celebrate. You had a you had a you know several decade long relationship or two decade long relationship. That's a celebration. You know, it's 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 really a we need to reframe. I think the way we're thinking about relationships, particularly in midlife. Yeah, yeah, and I do think that a lot of it, it it's it's uh, fear. You know, it is it is easier it's easier to just keep doing what you're doing and not push yourself out of your comfort zone, not challenge other people's perceptions. It is easier, but there are plenty of marriages who they just go on as sort of based in fear and, and sort of based in this, like, well, we're just going to stick it out. And that's not how I want to live my life. And I think it's not how, a lot of women want to live their lives, but they're fearful of, you know, what, what comes next though. But that's, that's all of life. I mean, all of life is like that. But the, I mean, I can speak to that. I'm sure that we all can in different ways. Like that fear of aloneness is real, was really profound for me. And I used to say I was alone for many years after my husband and I split up. And I, I used to say, like, I'm really glad I didn't know I was going to be alone for so long because I wouldn't have left. Right. You know, and I'm glad I left. But this alone shit, I mean, particularly during COVID, was, you know, definitely more than I bargained for. And I understand that fear that keeps people in. Yeah. I One thing I find interesting is that when we were leading up to announcing our divorce, or maybe it was even before that, it was gripping me. And I'm someone who feels very comfortable being alone in general. I'm an only child. It's it's just not a huge reach for me. And it was like, you know, on one hand, I'm giving my 20-something-year-old self a lot of grief for having gotten married and how could I not see the future? How could I not see that this would was hard? And then I was falling right back into the same trap of like, well, now I got to run out and start dating. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. right. uh, didn't you're mad at your 20 something self for doing that. And you're falling right back into this expectation of that's the next thing you do. So right. I, I, I do think either way you, you, you kind of can't win because either you feel like you've, you got to go to the next thing. Like what's the next thing. And um, we don't allow people to pause in our culture really around anything <laughs> right now. Mm. You know, we just don't allow that time to just sit with the decision and be okay with it and not have answers because people always want to know what you're doing next. And it's okay not to, not to know. I mean, I remember a man saying to me, because I did feel like I needed a break after I got divorced, um, well, you better get back out there because otherwise you just fall out of circulation. And it'll never happen. Right. Like they can smell it on you. That's a thing. Yep, that's what they yep, say to you. Yep. Yes. That's what they say. <laughs> I remember feeling age fear. Um, you know, I kind of forget that. But initially I really felt like, well, the reason I need to start dating again right away is I'm just going to be too old. Um I'm going to be old. I'm going to look old. No one's going to want to date me. And now that's is just banana cakes to me because (laughs) I don't care. Um, And I it's it's just insane how quickly I fell into that fear that has been um, built into me my whole life at my age. You know, it's it's just this like act while you can act while you still physically aren't like a a wretched witch (laughs) you know it's 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 like my god if that didn't work when I was in my 20s like I I wasn't getting people based on my hot looks back then so what do I think is going to help me out now Um, if I'm going to end up dating it's going to be because of where I am and who I am and it's absurd to be chasing something that you can never do perfectly ever at any age. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Kimberly, where can people find you? Cause I want them to find you. I want them to buy your book. I want them to know you. And right now they can find me in a closet where I'm recording this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Surrounded by coats. Um, I am on Twitter at honey stay super 
and I am on Instagram at the real Kimberly Harrington. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on, Kim. This has been just Kimberly. Sorry, this has been great. Thank Thank you you so much. Thank you for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Everything is Fine. We are your hosts. I'm Jen Romolini. And I'm Kim France. If you like this show, please rate and review it on the platforms. It helps us build audience. It helps people find the show. If you want to join our Patreon for exclusive episodes, exclusive live events, and just some fun extra content, we are at patreon.com backslash everything is fine. The show is on Instagram at EIF Podcast. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. You can email us at everything is fine, the podcast at gmail.com. And you can find Kim on her blog, girlswithcertainage.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.